You guys sound absolutely fantastic. So I don't know if anybody's ever given you a special gift or not. I hope so. I mean, it's Christmas after all. Our family has been involved in finding out what people want, thinking about what they need, pulling together some resources and buying some gifts. I love this time of year because the truth is, is I like to get gifts. A few weeks ago, a couple months ago now, actually, somebody in our church, Pastor Melissa, she leads our adult development ministries. Um, she brought me this little box from Cuba. She had been in Cuba uh, doing a missions trip with a bunch of people from our church. And when she came back, she says, I have this gift for you. Now I get excited when somebody tells me they have a gift for me. I don't know about you, but I, I just like that. So she brings me this little wooden box. Now my first thought was, you went to Cuba for a week and all I got was this little wooden box. That was my first thought. And then she said, it's a really cool box because if you squeeze it just right in just the right spots, you can actually open it up and there's like a hidden compartment. Well, now instantly, I liked Melissa a whole lot better from that moment on because it wasn't just a little wooden box as it appeared on the outside. It was a cool, hidden, a cool little hidden compartment wooden box, handmade and crafted in Cuba, bought by a friend who's close to me because she wanted to express her love and appreciation for me. And she wanted me to have a memento of her ministry in Cuba. Now, if you think about it for just a moment, that's really what's happening at Christmas. God loved us enough that he sent his one and only son, Jesus, into the world. And now, the whole world around, a couple billion Christians officially, are celebrating this season as the coming of Jesus, the advent of Jesus. And everybody's eyes, to some degree, even if they're not Christian, is turned on the fact that this is a pretty remarkable time of the year. But tonight, I want to give you a chance to think more deeply about this gift. I, I want you, as it were, to kind of look into it and, and probe its edges and think about what it means and see if it might be something more than you've thought about in a long time. To see if it might be a more special gift, something more intricate, more beautiful, more precious, both because it was given by somebody who has deep love, your heavenly father, but also because in and of itself, it's a, it's a pretty neat gift. We're gonna spend our time in an Old Testament story where somebody was going through some really rough times and he called upon God God spoke and spoke some pretty powerful stuff that even though it's even older than the Christmas story, it's still powerful today and speaks to the Christmas story, but it speaks to our lives as well. Now, speaking of gifts, every year our church gets together at this time and we give a, what we call a Christmas offering gift. Now, I'm going to tell you about it for just a minute because if you're our guest, I want you to know something about the people you're sitting near. These are some of the most incredibly kind and gracious and generous people I've ever met in my life. And for the last 12, 13 years as a church, we're 15 years old, we've been very intentional to give a gift at Christmas to the birthday boy. I mean, it's Jesus' birthday. And here we are giving gifts to everybody else, and often we leave him out. So in the Christmas offering, we support ministries largely outside of this room or inside of the building that give deep impact to people's lives being changed. And I want to show you a couple of pictures on where some of the Christmas offering gift is going to go this year. So here's the first picture. This is a picture of what we call Four Corners India. In Kerala, India, which is on the southwest side of the nation, right near the mountains, between the mountains and the ocean, there's this little place right here, that building there on the right-hand side of your screen, which is a church building. A decade ago, this church, before we had a church of our own, we were not in this space, we were in a borrowed building, we built that church building at what is now called 4C India. And in the background of that picture, there's a girl's home. So for the last 10 years, some 40 girls, a dozen or so boys, and about a dozen pastors have been supported by this church. Their food, their education, their shelter, their clothing is paid for by people in this church. And we have regularly invested in this campus to be a light in a very dark place where poverty has run rampant, for the plight of women is really, really, really underserved. And our church came alongside a group of pastors who just loved their community, and we've seen God do great things. If you want to be a part, and you certainly don't have to, but if you'd like to be a part of our Christmas offering, when you give, part of your money will go to foresee India. Here's another picture. If you give in the Christmas offering, part of your offering will go to support some ministries here. This is a picture of our kids' space a couple years ago. Years ago. Now, Pastor Joseph told you when he welcomed you that we love families, and we do. So every year as a part of our Christmas gift offering, we make a deep investment in the next generation. Kids 
and students. We believe the gospel is so powerful that when it's driven into the heart of a child or into a student, it can hold no matter how far life wants to pull them along. We call it the anchor of the gospel. It goes in deep. The wind of life blows, tries to pull them in all other places. But we believe the power of God is such that if we make an investment deep into the hearts and minds of kids and students, that they'll never forget that there's a God who loved them, who sent his one and only son, Jesus, so that they could have life eternal. And if you want to give to the Christmas gift, you'll invest in our ministry here in a way that kids and students get a real benefit and boost to the ministries. Here's another picture I think you're going to like. This is a picture of Pastor Jose and Yami. They are our pastors in Cuba, where this box came from. And behind them is a host of other pastors at a pastor's conference. Our church two years ago partnered with Pastor Kevin and Tani, uh, who go to our church and service ministries in Cuba. They introduced us to this couple who are in the forefront of that picture. And we decided we'd take them on as a partnership. So we helped these pastors serve their local communities. And in the last few years, God's been doing some dramatic work in Cuba. And in Cuba, a large church is 30 people. So what we do is we send them some resources and some encouragement so that they can do work in what has been a troubled land for a couple of generations. And so just 90 miles off the coast of Florida, 90 miles away from Miami, they're doing work and we're a part of it. If you give to the Christmas offering, part of your money will go here as well. One more picture I'm going to show you. This looks like a funny Christmas photo, perhaps. But our church in the first quarter of 2020 is installing right behind this wall a lift. We have a heart for single moms in this place. We have a, part, a heart for families that are on a very tight budget. And one of the things that challenges families in the suburbs is transportation. We don't have a deep infrastructure of busing and trains here in the north suburbs. So when one of our families who's on a tight budget has a car problem, it creates major dysfunction in their family. So what we're doing is, is we're investing in a ministry so that single moms, people on a tight budget, some of the elderly folks in our community, people who are without means can come to our church and have basic car service done completely for free. We will pay for it. So we're literally buying a lift that looks like that. We're going to provide basic oil changes and that sort of thing, give some consult to some other stuff. And this is our way to serve people in our church community. And we're going to equip everybody in our church to extend this offer out to people they know. That's all coming. And if you want to give to the Christmas offering, you certainly don't have to, but if you want to make this happen, you give a little bit of, of your money to make this happen. Beyond this, we serve our hungry neighbors in need in Hamilton at the uh, New Life Mission, and we help out some of our neighbors who need a hand up at the Healing Center in Tri-County. You're among some of the most generous and kind and gracious people in all of Cincinnati right here in this room. And if you do want to be a part, you simply take the offering envelope and you write Christmas and put some cash in it. You write Christmas on your check and you put it in the offering envelope at the end of our service or, or just drop a check in and it goes to Christmas. You can go online, select Christmas tab. That's how you make it happen. If you're our guest, don't feel any compulsion to be a part. If you call this church home, I have some incredible, incredible news. Yesterday morning, I stood on this stage and I told you that we had crossed the halfway mark of our goal. Our goal is $80,000 to pay for all of this stuff for the year. And uh, yesterday morning, we had passed the halfway mark, just over 40,000. But today, Today, as of just before the first service a few hours ago, we were at $55,000. Isn't that incredible? Wow. So at the end of our service, if you want to be a part, do. You can go online, you can do whatever. And there's a little card uh, on the back of which is the message notes for today. On the front, it's all the information if you want to be a part. Again, if you're our guest, you do not have to. If you want to give a gift, in honor of Jesus to the things he cares about, certainly we'll take your money and put it to good purpose, all right? So thanks so much, Four Corners, for being a great church. If by chance you were during the fellowship time just a little bit earlier not greeted by a friendly person, I want to tell you something about that person. They are also a guest because everybody here is friendly and kind and generous. All right, so if you have a Bible, turn to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. Our Christmas story tonight begins 700 years before Jesus was born. I want to give you just a bit of Israel's history because it's remarkable how God all along was getting the world ready for this gift called Jesus. At some point after Jesus, the Apostle Paul was reflecting on all the history that had happened. And in Galatians chapter 4, the letter to the church at Galatia, Paul writes these words, in the fullness of time or when time was just right, God sent his son into the world. 
Now, understanding just how right that time was gives us an opportunity to step back in history just a little bit and see what was going on when Isaiah was a major prophet in spiritual influence in the land of Israel. Now, recall, the land of Israel is that place where God decided he would call Abraham and create a family. And he says to Abraham, I'm going to give you land and I'm going to use your family to bless the whole world. And ultimately, ultimately, Jesus is going to be born into the family of Abraham. And the whole world gets the gift of Jesus because of Abraham's faithfulness, because what God did in the land of Israel. And a lot of that story is recorded for us in the Old Testament. So Isaiah is a major spiritual influence. And there's a king that some of you may not have heard of. Heard of. His name is Ahaz. And Ahaz is in a bind. Now, I'm not Ahaz. You're not Ahaz. Lots of years have passed between Ahaz and us. Not quite 3,000 years. But even though our situations are different, I bet some of you are also in a bind. Let, let, Let me tell you Ahaz's bind. Ahaz's bind was this. In the northern regions, in the area in which Israel was located, so just north of Israel, there was a growing world dominant power called Assyria. And you can study about them in history. They left a major mark on the history of humanity, and they were a powerful force in Bible times, and they were ruthless. When they wanted what you had, they'd come in and take it. They weren't asking permission. They liked to fight. At some point, they got a ruler that decided, hey, maybe we don't have to fight so much. We'll just go in, and because we're big enough, and because we cast a big enough shadow, we'll just threaten strongly, and without a fight, maybe people will just give us their stuff. And that's exactly what people were doing. They didn't even have to pull the swords out of the the side holders of their sword. They didn't have to pull them out, and people were just like, here, take our stuff, take our property, take our crops, take our women, take our kids. Take it all. We definitely don't want You guys are too big. And here's Ahaz, the king of a very small country. And here's Assyria, much bigger and looks more awesome. And Ahaz is going, we're next in line. So a couple of the kingdoms to the east of Ahaz, they're getting together and debating, maybe we can band together and maybe we can hold them off. Well, that was a silly plan, but that's what they're thinking. They're thinking, what can we do? And Ahaz is thinking, maybe I'll join with those guys over there and perhaps we'll have a chance. I'll certainly have a better chance than if I try to fight Assyria on my own. And then in the back of his mind, he's going, well, what if if I just make an alliance with Assyria? And if I make an alliance with Assyria, maybe they'll let me keep the throne and maybe it won't be so bad. I mean, I know we'll be heavily taxed, but maybe we'll be fine. So Ahaz, being a king in Israel, where God has been working historically, decides what I'm going to do, and this is interesting, he says, I'm going to reach out to Isaiah, the prophet, and I'm going to ask him, does God have an opinion about what I should do? I mean, I've heard all the stories of the background of our history where God was with Moses. I I know that God was with David, a king before me. I know that God was with Solomon, a king before me. Maybe God has an opinion. Maybe God cares about what's going on in my life right now. I'll ask the guy who talks to God regularly about that. His name's Isaiah. Now, again, Assyria is probably not breathing, but down your back, if they are, you might have some emotional challenges, all right, if you think they are, because they're not. They're they're not around anymore, so it's clearly very different. But, 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 it's possible that you're facing and feeling some pressures as this year closes and a new year opens, and you have a similar kind of feeling that Ahaz has which is, is how can I leverage the forces that I have available to me to get through this? What happens if all this goes bad? What's going to happen to me? Is there anything I can do to prevent that? And perhaps, I wonder if God might have anything to say about what's going on. I wonder if God even cares what's going on. So Isaiah comes to Ahaz and he says, here's the deal, Isaiah. Or here's, here's the deal, Ahaz. Do not... Make an alliance with these people over here. God does not want you to do that. And Isaiah is like, okay, okay. Uh, uh, Ahaz is like, okay, Isaiah, I won't. And then he says, and then do not make an alliance with northern part of the land where Assyria's in charge. And so now Ahaz is running out of options. He's like, okay. And Isaiah tells Ahaz this. He says, here's what God wants you to do. God wants you to simply trust him. 
He wants you to remember all the ways he's been good in the past, and he wants you to trust him that he's going to take care of you, and he's not done with you, and there's still a lot of work he wants to accomplish in Israel and in your life. Now, now, if I were making a movie about this, I would have the camera put right on Ahaz's face as Isaiah is giving him the news from God. Don't make an alliance here. Don't make an alliance here. Just trust that God has you. Now, when Isaiah says this, he means for it to be very good news. But Ahaz doesn't hear it as good news. He's more worried. Wait, wait, wait. God has an opinion, and his opinion is that me and him are enough? God has an opinion, and his opinion is, is I don't really need to worry. I just need to trust God. That doesn't sound very comforting. So then Isaiah says to him the verses we're going to read. All right, here's the deal, Ahaz. God's going to give you a sign that he hasn't forgotten you, that he cares about you, that you're important to him. And here's the sign on your message notes, Isaiah 9, verse 6 and 7. Here's what our Bible says. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders And he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. So Ahaz, here's the thing. God's going to give you a sign, and here's the sign. There's going to be a baby born. Now now think about it. Just think how ludicrous this is. Isaiah's facing the Assyrian army in all of its might. They are the most powerful force in the world at the time. And God says to Ahaz, I got you, don't worry. And here's proof that I got you. Here's a little bitty baby. Exactly, it's ludicrous. It's silly. It was a gift. But it wasn't one where all of its importance and its significance was fully obvious in the moment as Ahaz was thinking about the pressures that he was facing. And I want to tell you something. At Christmas, the whole world, to some degree, reflects on, at least marginally, the gift of Jesus. There are nativities, there are lights. We assign meaning to things like Christmas trees that don't die and Jesus is alive. And It's a stretch, but it's, it's marginally out there a bit. But here's what happens all over the place. Maybe it's happening in this room. There are real pressures bearing down on people. And even though Jesus and how significant he is, is given a certain amount of highlighting and elevation, it's not always obvious how Jesus speaks to the issues of life, to the pressures you're facing. It's possible you're in the room right now and you can't connect the dots, how you trusting God fully would make any difference against the challenges that you're facing, against the fears that you have, a sickness, a financial burden, a relational meltdown. And I want to remind you today that this gift of Jesus speaks to every area of life. And just as a way of scratching the surface, we're going to look at the specific titles or names given to this special child that Isaiah spoke to Ahaz and said, this child's going to be given. And when he's given, here's four monikers. Here's four titles for him that's going to tell you just how special it is. And I I think that Ahaz just didn't take enough time to think about the implication of these words. And we can learn from him. Because tonight you're going to have an opportunity to think about the implications of the gift of this child, who ultimately is Jesus, 700 years later, who's going to rescue Not only the people that Ahaz cares about, but the entire legacy of what God was wanting to do with Israel. And had Ahaz trusted, which by the way, he didn't, he went ahead and made an alliance. And in a few short months, he was killed. His kingdom was decimated. And all of Israel went into a really, really dark season. That happened all the time in Israel's history. God would say, trust me, they wouldn't trust him. God would say, I'm here for you. They didn't believe him. God would say, let's do it this way. They'd try it their own way. And it always brought challenges to the people of Israel. So God decided in his great wisdom, and it's incredibly wise, that he would send a gift not only to Ahaz, but to the entire world, a gift that at first blush might not look that significant. I mean, it might be cool, but it may not look like it applies. 
So he doesn't just send a gift and say, figure it out. He sends a gift. And along the way, in the story of the Bible, he attaches to the gift various pieces of meaning and insight into just how special this gift is. For our purposes tonight, he is the wonderful counselor. He is the mighty God. He is the everlasting father and the prince of peace. And those were words that should have been meaningful to Ahaz, but I want to suggest to you tonight they can be very meaningful to you. And you know how stressful this time of year gets beyond what's going on in your life. It can be very, very difficult for people, can't it? I was in the store the other day with my sons, and we were watching with great interest the spectacle in front of us as parents were taking their kids to get their pictures made with Santa. This is fun. This is almost as good as reality TV. Because some cute little adorable kid was all awesome and cute until they got in close proximity to Santa. And then they burst into tears and the parents were just shaking their heads. Just take the picture. You waited too long. Right? So we're watching this one dad and his kid, like three-year-old, just going crazy. He's running around the turnstiles there. He's, just, he's going nuts and falling on the floor. And the dad's crazy. And I hear him lean down. He says, now, Charles, we're not very far. Just, you know, be patient. We're getting close. The kid's like, I want to see Santa. He's Charles, you're doing great, man. You're going to make it. It's going to be okay. We're going to get up there. And I'm watching this dad. Clearly, he's, you know, feeling a little bit out of his league. And several times he leans down. Charles, I promise you, it's going to be okay. All we got to do is make it to the line. Santa's going to be there. And I'm watching this happen. I'm a dad. I'm a pastor. And I'm thinking, this guy deserves the Dad of the Year Award. His patience on display. So when they get done, the kid gets his picture ready. I go up to him and I say, man. I'm so impressed. I'm a pastor. And I'm going to tell you, you're parenting so much better than I ever did. As the way you bent down and spoke to Charles with all that people. Oh, wait, wait, wait a second. That's not Charles. I'm Charles. My kid's name is Sam. I was just talking to myself to get through the pressure of the moment. <laughs> it can be pressure cooker, can't it, out there? Looking for a parking spot, trying to get a good deal. I was waiting in line at Walmart on Thanksgiving Day because I'm clearly a heathen trying to get a cheap TV. And behind me broke out a fight. The police had to come. And I'm going to be telling, I'm, t- I'm, t- I'm telling you the truth about that. I was both scared and intrigued at the same time, but I wasn't going to get out of line. I'm just going to be honest with you. I got my TV. It's a pressure cooker kind of life, isn't it? So Isaiah speaks to Ahaz and he says, let me tell you how awesome God is. He gives gifts that are powerful and impactful. So let's work through these, right, with your message notes. Here's the first blank, wonderful counselor. So when we talk about this counselor, Jesus, he's not just a king who rules over us, but he's a close friend who walks with us and shows us the way out. He's a wonderful counselor. Now, the Old Testament was originally written in the Hebrew language, and in the Hebrew, this word wonderful is an interesting word. It really means indescribable. Wonderful is a perfectly great translation of this word. But when we say wonderful, it doesn't often produce in us a profound sense of wonder. This counselor is the kind of counselor that does such a great job in helping us that it is awe-inspiring. He doesn't just sit from a seat of knowledge and say, here's the three things you need to do. And if you'll just do them, you'll be fine. That's not what he does. Follow my simple plan, buy my book, you know, blog into my subscri- log into my subscription, pay the fees, and I'll help you get to where you want to go. None of that. No, no. What he does is he comes with incredible wisdom, and he stands beside you. This is what Ahaz was, this is what Isaiah was trying to say to Ahaz. God will stand with you, Ahaz, And it might start small and you may not see it, but God's going to stand with you through whatever you're going through. And he has all the wisdom. This this word counselor is the same word in Hebrew that was used to describe Solomon in the Old Testament. The Bible describes him as the wisest man that ever lived. He was so wise that people would bring their problems to him and he would help them figure it out and what to do. One day, two ladies bring a baby. They're arguing over whose baby it is. And Solomon says, let's pull out a sword and cut the baby in half. And when he offers that advice, one woman says, no, 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 don't do that. Just give it, give it, give it to, I don't want to say the baby, just give it to the other woman. And Solomon says, ah, that woman, that's the real mother, because she cares about the life of the child more than the benefit to her. He was just profoundly wise. This is the word counselor applied to Jesus. So when you think about Jesus, if you think about the baby in the manger, you're on the right track, but that's not all that's going on. 
He's a profoundly wise counselor who comes alongside, stands with. When you become a child of God, we'll talk about that in a moment, and you become part of the family of God, God, in the same way that he was going to use a family in the Old Testament, he's using a family in the New Testament. The New Testament calls it the church. It's the family of God. We're adopted in by the work that Jesus has done for us. When you become a part of the family of God, you get a big brother who's wiser and has already been through the stuff. And he promises to stand with you all the way through it. This is why the writer in the book of Hebrews in your New Testament writes about it this way on the screens. You can follow along, Hebrews 4. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. So let us then approach God's throne. Look look at these words. God's throne of grace with confidence. So I don't have all the answers. I don't know what to do. I'm stuck. There doesn't seem to be a way out. What am I invited to do in the New Testament? Because of Jesus. I'm invited to approach God's throne of grace. So there's some mercy there for me. And I can do it with confidence. Not that I have the answers, but that he does. So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. He's a wonderful counselor. He's not simply a king who's ruling over. He's a big, close friend who comes beside you and he walks with you and he shows you the way out step by step. This is the gift of Jesus to God's family. There's another passage, though, that for me is almost a life verse because I have to use it all the time. And maybe this is you tonight. And maybe you haven't thought about the gift of Jesus this way, but I want to show you what James chapter 1, verse 5 tells us about this wonderful counselor. Here's what James, by the way, who is the brother of Jesus. Now, if you want any proof that people in the New Testament believe that Jesus was really God, you don't have to look any further than James. James was a brother of Jesus, grew up in the same home with Mary and Joseph for however long Joseph lived. And at the end of Jesus's ministry on earth, James wakes up one day and realizes Jesus is the son of God. The brother I lived with in my house is the son of God, the Lord risen from the dead. Now, I have a brother. Not one time has he ever thought, maybe my brother's God. (laughs) He knows me too well, right? But James did. James said, that's the Son of God. And James writes a letter, and it's my life verse. He says, if any of you lack wisdom. Now, I grew up in a church where we'd talk back to the preacher. We'd say amen. So when I say, if any of you lack wisdom, let's see if we have anybody who grew up like I did. If any of you lacks wisdom, yeah, yeah, yeah. You should tell the truth. You're in church. That's me, friends. So let me tell you what I'm invited to do then because he's a wonderful counselor. Let him ask God who gives generously to all without, I love this, reproach. God likes it. He's not, when I go to God and say, God, it's your stupid son again. I don't know what to do. He doesn't go, you are stupid, aren't you? He doesn't have pity on me in the sense of, oh, poor little boy. Let's see what we can do. He doesn't say, man, haven't we talked about this like six times before? He doesn't do any of that. He says, come to me. And I'm willing to give wisdom. I'm the great counselor without any reproach, without any shame. So I want to let you know something about God. If you're facing a challenge and you don't know the way out, rely on him as your wonderful counselor. This is part of the gift of Jesus. Don't leave it as it were closed up in a package. Open it this holiday season. It's part of the inheritance that you have as a child of the king. And this is part of why we're doing the spiritual survey tonight. Next step A, if you take it, just mark that's where you are. It says that I'm already a believer. That's where I am. But even then, I have to remind myself that this gift opens up. And inside is some pretty wonderful things. So when I don't have the wisdom I need, I go to the wonderful counselor. And he's ready and willing without shame, without reproach to guide me in the steps that I'm to take and to lead me to follow him. And he doesn't leave me alone. He's a wonderful counselor. Number two, he's a mighty God. 
What this means is that his mightiness is more than endless power to act. That would be good enough in itself, but it's so much more than that. It's also the mightiness of a love that would do anything to rescue you. This is the image that comes to my mind as I reflect back on 9-11 and those horrific images I watched on the television screen all night long while people were trying to get away from falling buildings. Some people with incredible bravery was running towards them. They were powerful. They knew the damage that could be done, but they had great love and a great personal sacrifice. This is a mighty act. This is your heavenly father who sends his one and only son, Jesus, who becomes for us a mighty God. Incredible power and incredible love. So four books in the Bible tell the story of Jesus directly. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Three of them kind of tell the same story. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John's a little unique in its perspective. But of them, Mark is the most unique because Mark doesn't tell any story of the beginning. In the first five chapters of Mark, Mark establishes something different than a story of Christmas. Matthew talks about Mary and Joseph and Luke talks about shepherds and all that stuff. But Mark just says this, Jesus shows up and he's powerful. You want proof? And so now we go into a boxing match or into a wrestling match. I'm from the South. It's wrestling. All right. And so wrestling round number one, it's Jesus versus demonic forces. Jesus wins. In the first five chapters, it's Jesus versus the weather, Jesus wins. It's Jesus versus sickness, Jesus wins. It's Jesus versus the authorities trying to hold people oppressed, Jesus wins. And by the time you get to chapter 16 in Mark, it's Jesus versus the ultimate enemy of humanity, death, and Jesus wins. I can almost hear Mark saying, are you ready to rumble? If so, Jesus is going to win because he's the mighty God. When's the last time? You thought about how powerful Jesus really is. He's not just a cute, cuddly baby. That's why we sung songs intentionally tonight that take us beyond the Christmas story into the full power encompassed in the name Jesus, Savior of the world, reigning king in power. This is what's available to you when you put your trust in him as your Savior. He's the mighty God. Look at Mark chapter 4, for instance. And he woke and he rebuked the wind and he said to the sea, peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was great calm. And he said then to the disciples, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and they said to one another, who is this that even the wind and the seas obey him? When you get a profound sense of the power of God, You're no longer afraid of what was making you afraid. You're in awe of the power connected to the one we call Jesus. This is the gift of Christmas that just keeps on giving. That's the power. But then look at Mark 14, the great love on display. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to greatly be distressed and troubled And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death, remain here and watch. So here's the powerful king who can control the wave. But when he comes to the end of his life, to the ultimate point of why he was given, he sits and he's overcome with the weight of what's in front of him. So what motivated him to do it? He could have stepped away. But he was motivated by profound love. This is not just a wonderful counselor. He's a mighty God. And it's part of the gift that God gives us at Christmas. And if it's been a while since you've reflected on this gift, tonight is a great opportunity to think about just how powerful God is to his children. The third blank, everlasting father. Everlasting Father, this is always a challenge to talk about because theologically we have a heavenly Father and then we have a Son. There's also a Holy Spirit. They're the great three in one. But the Son is also called an everlasting Father here. Now, this is not his title or his role in the Trinity. This is the role he can serve in our life. And these words are intentionally chosen because everybody knows what it is to be impacted by a Father. By a show of hands in the room real quick, how many of you are here as the result of your father's actions? Exactly. So everybody has a framework for understanding father. 
Now, as a result of the fall and the fact that nobody's perfect, how many people in this room had an absolutely perfect father? Now, my father's in the room, and I want a Christmas gift. My dad's a great dad. He wasn't perfect, never claimed to be. But when Jesus is described the everlasting father, these words give us a chance to think about this, that he fully accepts you. He's a father that does not love you more when you're perfect, and he does not love you less when your life is a series of mistakes. Some of us grew up in a home with the never quite good enough father. You got a B, you should have got an A. You ran it in 15 minutes, you should have run it in 14 minutes. You did it at this time, you should have done it three minutes earlier. And you learned a certain performance engagement with relationship and satisfaction in the relationship and affirmation. Some of us grew up in a home with an angry father and you never knew when he was gonna come out. He was like the Hulk from the late 70s, early 80s Hulk TV series. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry, David Banner said. Yeah, I'm the only one that holds in the room. Okay, um, I'm the only one dumb enough to watch really stupid TV, one or the other. And so you didn't know when he was going to come out. He was the angry dad. And, and some of you had the absent father. Like he was present but always working, or he wasn't present. And the, the truth is, is that how we relate to our earthly fathers can impact negatively how we relate to our heavenly father. So in the person of Jesus, we're reminded that we have an everlasting father. This is a big deal to God to recapture the visual image of what a heavenly father is supposed to be. God sent his one and only son to demonstrate the father's love to us repeatedly. This is why the last line of the Old Testament, Old Testament is pre-Jesus, New Testament is Jesus forward. The last line of the Old Testament, here it is, it speaks directly to our issue. And he, talking about Jesus when he comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. God's heart is that dads would have a heart for their kids and kids would have a heart for their dads. But our Lord knew that this would be difficult in a fallen world. So he sent for us a perfect, everlasting father who is not angry, who is not absent, who is not waiting on you to perform so that you can be brought in. In fact, just the opposite. He's actually drawn to you in your imperfections. This is why David, who had major problems in following the Lord, wrote in Psalm 103, the Lord is merciful and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. In the gift of Jesus, you have before you, an example of a love so profound, it is called everlasting. And a caricature of God described as father that is perfect and beautiful. So that instead of being afraid when you make a mistake around your father in heaven, you're actually drawn to him. He takes joy in you bringing it to him so that he can help you with it. He takes joy in covering it with you. He takes joy in teaching you lessons kindly and patiently in life. He's an everlasting father. He's not an earthly father here and gone and up and down. This is a father who loves deeply and wants to be a part of your life and enjoys hearing your stories and enjoys offering advice when he needs to and sometimes just listening and he comes alongside always ready and always with a heart for you no matter how many other people have his attention he's always got time for you so Isaiah says to Ahaz, here's the deal. You're going to get a sign and it's going to be a child and it might start small and you may not see its implications at first, but here's what you need to know about God's heart for you. He loves you so much that he's sending, an, he's sending a wonderful counselor. He's sending a mighty God, an everlasting father, and then finally a prince of peace. Now this was particularly appropriate to Ahaz's situation because he's standing on the precipice of war. And historically, when the war happens, it is ugly. And this Prince of Peace is going to do something pretty profound. He's going to bring a peace that is more than just the absence of conflict. It is the presence of something far better. This, this is beautiful. There's a practicality here. 
He doesn't do as my sister used to do for my little niece. She would claim she had a headache. She, she may have. She was very young. And so they would take a Band-Aid and put it on her forehead, and she would go, all better. And clearly, there's some psychosomatic emotional stuff going on. I don't know. Right? Clearly, that Band-Aid didn't fix a headache. And so, so God doesn't offer us a fake Band-Aid to a fake problem. He, what, what he offers, though, is I will come and I will be with you. I'll bring all the peace in me to bear on all the parts of your life. I'll speak peace to the most broken parts of you. And we don't think about this a lot because it's not very popular, but the most, po- most broken part of every one of us is at the core. The reason why we don't have peace internally is we're not at peace with God or ourselves. It's fundamentally broken. The Bible calls that brokenness sin. And so God, because he wanted to fix the brokenness in us called sin, he sent a savior to do for us what we were incapable of doing for ourselves. In the Old Testament, they had this concept in Hebrew called shalom. It meant peace with God, peace with others, and peace with myself, and peace with the world. Shalom. When you had shalom, all those things were rightly aligned. But for most of us, that stuff is tenuous at best. Even if you have moments of it, it's hard to hold on to. So what God offers in Jesus is not just a band-aid over the stress, but the personal embodiment, the prince of peace himself stands beside you and with you and envelops you all the way in. So you don't just get a band-aid, you get his presence. So you don't have to call him in when you're in need only because he's always there with you. And he's always working things for your good to bring alignment so that you can have peace with God. That's what the cross is all about. In the cross and the resurrection of Jesus, the work of Jesus accomplishes something for me that I cannot do for myself. Sin has made me spiritually dead, biblically speaking, and dead people can't fix themselves. So Jesus becomes alive, conquering death, by his resurrection, and he looks at the spiritually dead people, me, and he says, I'm going to fix what's broken in you and bring you back to life with me. That's why people who are in a relationship with Jesus biblically are called born again. They're brought from death back to life. They can't do it on their own. They need Jesus to do it for them. He's the Prince of Peace who brings peace to the brokenness that sin has brought. He's the Prince of Peace who brings peace into family conflict. This family that he's creating in the Old Testament with Abraham and in the New Testament with the church, there's all kinds of barbs and challenges and discord that can happen. So Jesus shows up and says, remember, 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 I'm the one that tore down the dividing walls between men and women, Jew and Greek, slave and free, rich and poor. I'm the peace of God. Come to bear on your situation this Christmas. Do not leave under the tree the gift of Jesus, who is the Prince of Peace. This is why Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 4. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. There is a peace that can come to you that no matter what storm is brewing out here, you're comfortable and at rest here. It's the picture of Jesus asleep in the back of the boat while there's a storm on the lake and the disciples are saying, aren't you concerned we're going to drown? Here's how unconcerned he was. Very concerned about them, unconcerned about the storm. He's asleep. And Mark actually tells us he's asleep on a pillow. So Jesus came ready to take a nap. No, that's not a sign of his disconnection. It's a sign of how comfortable he is in the storm. He's the Prince of Peace that can speak to every storm of your life, every storm of your heart, every storm in your relationship, every storm in your finances. And he invites you to come all the way into him. He's not just the baby at a manger. It just begins there. He becomes a perfect sacrifice dies on a cross, resurrected from a borrowed tomb, and he reigns in heaven, and he's available to every one of us. It's not something we can earn or drum bump on our own. We receive by trusting the work Jesus did, the gift of God's salvation. And the work that Jesus did is he lived a perfect life, died on a cross in our place, and was resurrected from the dead as proof that he satisfied all of God's claims on us. 
And when you trust the work that Jesus did on the cross and in the resurrection, you get the life that he won for you. You get Jesus, the babe in a manger. You get Jesus, the perfect sacrifice. You get the resurrected Jesus in the garden tomb. You get the Jesus who's sitting on the throne of heaven. You get the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, and the prince of peace. And so much more going on than just pretty pictures and nice stories at Christmas time. There's something profound happening that speaks to the challenges of every person's life. You're not going through anything that Jesus cannot make better. And sometimes he'll make better by alleviating. Sometimes he'll make better by showing up. Sometimes he'll make better by giving advice and directing. Sometimes he'll make better simply by being peace in the middle of the storm. I don't know how it's going to happen for you. And you don't know either. That's why Isaiah's words to Ahaz are so powerful. Ahaz, trust God. I'm going to invite you to do the same thing. Trust God fully tonight. This is why we're doing our spiritual survey. In fact, if you'll grab it out, it looks like this. Next steps, we call it A, B, C, and D. See which one applies to you. And if you don't mind, take your pen. Now, if you'll give us your email, we'll send you the results of what all was done in the room over the two services. But next step A says, I'm already following Jesus. If that's you, check the box, that's me. My challenge to you today is open the gift all the way. Open the gift all the way and just see how awesome and marvelous, wonderful and kind and true and freeing and gracious is Jesus. Maybe though in the room, you need to check next step B. It says, I'm becoming a follower of Jesus. Right now, if that's you in a minute, I'm gonna lead you in a prayer. There's no magic in the prayer. The power is in the work of Jesus. When you say to him, Jesus, I cannot save myself. I'm a sinner, but I'm gonna trust the work you did for me on the cross and in your resurrection. I'm gonna trust in that alone to secure my relationship with you. If you wanna do that, take the pen, check B. We're gonna pray in a minute. You can just talk to God, do serious business with heaven. Or maybe... We value honesty here. Maybe the truth is you're just not ready to do that, but you're thinking about it. So next step C applies to you. I'm considering following Jesus. Hey, you're in the right place. In the new year, join us. We've got 21 days of prayer where we're all considering what God has for us. It's a great place to get on board and discover all that God has for you. We won't pressure you. We'll love you, but we'll tell you the truth. That's how much we love you. The next step D says, and this is okay if this is you. I'm glad you're here. You're in the right place. It says, I don't think I'll ever become a follower of Jesus. That's okay. There are people in this room who checked that box a couple years ago. Maybe you never will become a follower of Jesus. I want you to know you're welcomed here. We built this church with you in mind and we will do our best to love you and answer your questions. Now, no matter if you've checked A, B, C, or D and everybody in the room should be able to check one of them, I'd ask you to, everybody in the room to consider checking Next Step E, which says, please send me the 21 days of prayer guide. I'm gonna get it to you in your inbox on January 2nd. And then on January 6th, we're gonna start 21 days of dangerous prayers where we pray some pretty honest things. We really value honesty around here. And you can do it in the privacy of your home. I'll send you a little update in your email once a week about it. We won't, certainly won't spam you out. But if you want to invite God to be more part of your new year, just check this box. No matter if you checked A, B, C, or D, check E, and we'll get it to you. Just make sure we can read your email address. Now, what I want to do right now is I want to pray and give you a chance to invite the gift of Jesus to speak into your life however he needs to. And if you're not ready to do that, just give the rest of us who are just a moment to talk to, to God for a second. So would you bow with me? Father, right now, I want to say thank you for Jesus. He's so much more than just a babe in a manger. He's a gift that keeps on giving. I pray, Lord, that tonight you would expand our understanding of the gift of Jesus to the world, but also to our own lives. I pray, Lord, that the wonderful counsel would come alongside some hurting people tonight. And he would remind them that they're not alone, that you He would remind them that you, our Father, do care and that they're not forgotten. There's hope. Hope has a name. It's Jesus. 
God, I pray that you would come along as the mighty God speaking in power and love over some pretty dark things. God, you can conquer anything and you come alongside of us to bring your best purpose. I'm grateful that we can come to you when we don't have power and you do. God, I pray that you would come as an everlasting father and you would remind us that we are loved just as we are. We can't earn it. We can't get rid of it. You are constant in your love for us. And I pray that the Prince of Peace would speak peace into the storms that are represented in this room. And I lift up right now the men and women that are declaring, Jesus, I cannot save myself. There's no work I can do to earn my salvation. So I declare that you are not only the Lord of the universe, but I invite you to be the Lord of my life. Wash away my sins. I trust the work you did on the cross and in your resurrection. I trust in that alone to save me. I want to be your child. Lead me. And I pray, Father, that over this Christmas season, each one of us would have an opportunity to remember that you are a good, good Father who loves us so much that you sent your one and only Son, Jesus. Help us, Lord, to unwrap its potential and its impact fully in our life. We pray it in the name of Jesus, the strong and holy Son of God. Amen and amen. Now, if you have your Connect card, we're going to collect them right now in offering buckets. If you're our guest, that's your gift to us. You're certainly welcome to give to the Christmas offering if you want to. You don't have to. If you call this church home, this is your opportunity to support either the Christmas offering, write Christmas on the envelope or the check, or to support the church's ongoing ministries. If you are our guest, I do want to remind you, you are around incredibly gracious people. A lot of people in this room give online. Some people give a cash offering. And they do that because they believe that this is a place worth investing in. We've had an incredible year. We've seen God do so many wonderful things. And on behalf of this church, to all of our guests, welcome. And on behalf of this staff and this leadership team, say, I want to say to all of our 4C family, we are so grateful for you. Thank you for your faithfulness. God has done something beautiful in this church. I've never been in a part of a church that is more special than this one. So thank you for being imperfect, but pressing into God and having room in your hearts for me and my family and for welcoming whoever walked in these doors. It's a special place to be a part of. Let's pray quickly about our offering and then we're gonna sing Silent Night and light our candles, all right? One more time, would you bow with me? Father, take our gifts, use them for your glory, use them for our good, help people to be one to the kingdom, help lives to be touched positively and powerfully by the Holy Spirit through what we're doing in our gifts and in our next steps. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.